Hello and welcome to Stump Death and Taxes. Today I'm going down a weird route talking about ChatGPT. Originally, I was going to talk about aging and shrinking populations, uh, jumping off from a post by Virginia Postrel called Japan's Old Age Crisis in Ours to Come. And it's a good post. I will link to it. But it's actually a footnote on the post that really has sent me off in a different direction uh, relating to chat GPT. Um, and it is an excellent post. It had some info in it that I didn't know about that does relate to uh, Japan's demographic structure. Now, one of the things I did know about Japan, I mean, yes, that it's very old and it is one of the longest lived uh, it's definitely the longest lived country of the developed nations. Uh, has the longest period life uh, expectancy in the world uh, currently. And its population has been shrinking. It has death rates that are higher than its birth rates of late. But that actually started a long time ago. And it, she gets into it in her post. It's free. So I will put that in the episode notes. But I do want to read this footnote one. Now, she quotes a variety of demographic statistics in the post and she links and et cetera, et cetera. So here is the footnote and I will read it. Using chat GPT, I got a bunch of potentially useful data on the percentage of various national populations over 80 from 1920 to the present, but I can't be sure the AI isn't making stuff up. And by the time I find the numbers on the cited sources, I haven't saved any time. ChatGPT has an enormous advantage at rummaging through databases, but that isn't any good if I can't trust it. And it looks like it was wrong. So that was the footnote. And <laughs> I'm going like, oh my gosh. So there has been obviously a lot of talk about ChatGPT specifically and AI in general among all the quote thinking classes and pinky high in the air. Oh my gosh, we'll be out of a job. This was the discourse when personal computing came to the workplace. Now it did by the way, when comp uh, actually it wasn't the personal computer per se, but word processing that totally replaced entire swathes of, um, I should, well, I'll just say professionals. And it changed my Aunt Pat, who I was named after, Aunt Mary Pat. Um, she had been a secretary. A lot of, you know, old school executives at places like IBM, where she worked, she didn't go to college per se. I mean, she went to like a secretarial school, learned shorthand, that sort of thing. She didn't have a four-year degree like my father did. He, went, he had an electrical engineering degree from Clemson University. That's how he got into IBM. And he was doing, you know, your normal EE type things at IBM um, and going through those ranks, the nerd ranks at IBM. Um, my grandfather and uncle, they were more the sales type of people. Well, okay, one of my uncles, I believe, is an accountant. In any case, so my Aunt Pat, she had started the in the business through the secretarial route. 
because, of course, executives don't type their own stuff. You know, you're working on a Selectric 2 typewriter. You're taking down dictation and, write, you know, typing up memos for people. But then you get word processors. Then you get the personal computers. And then, you know, it wasn't Word initially. I'm trying to remember what the names of those damn, um, <laughs> I'm sorry, software was. But it was before Windows that uh, you could start typing for yourself. And I remember my dad doing like typing tutor and that kind of thing. And I picked it up. He brought home an IBM PC in 1982 because he worked for IBM and he got an employee discount. And there were so many women, I remember, or I should say females, girls who were told not to learn typing so that they could go down a professional route and not be secretaries. I remember various women telling me these stories, but then not being able to type and everybody has to type for themselves now. Of course, now we can do speech to text uh, anyway. But a lot of whole, you know, uh, occupational categories really skinnied down. And I mean, and then they weren't secretaries anymore. Now they are your uh, executive assistants per se. But even that, we needed fewer and fewer of those because people were doing those uh, tasks for themselves. They didn't need a separate position or you had one person doing it for the entire department as opposed to having a secretarial pool. Similarly, I'll just talk about actuarial departments. Since I'm an actuary, you used to have, you know, whole bunches of low level actuarial assistants who would have to sit down and the spreadsheets were pieces of paper and grids. And, you know, you would have your calculating machines and you would be writing them down on pieces of paper. Now that's, you know, decades and decades ago. Then they would have mainframes that you had to lease from IBM um, that you would do your calculations on. And it was programmed in, say, Fortran or COBOL. Um, but then, of course, personal computing came along and then you needed fewer and fewer actuarial staff to get this done. And I've actually looked, I've looked at the census data of, the, or I should say Bureau of Labor Statistics data of how many people were employed by insurance companies for various occupational um, categories. And you see all sorts of like clerical categories getting smaller and smaller and smaller because you don't need as much staff to get the same amount of work done. Um, and it is because of technological process. This is not AI that did it. It was computing power. We got replaced by Excel. Uh, that's just the truth. If, if all you were doing was adding numbers together, Excel can do that a lot faster. I've never, you know, I don't add numbers in my head. I'm not an accountant. No, accountants don't do it in their head either. So now we have this AI, but the, the thing is, and people are finding this out to their cost if they don't think about it deeply. I got bored with ChatGPT very rapidly because it's a generic tool. Um, there are AI systems out there that are trained for niche purposes. Now, ChatGPT can be used for specific purposes. It does have aspects that it was trained for, um, you know, fixing certain kinds of code. So it does work. My understanding is it does work actually for fixing Excel formulas. 
And I did find uh, a video. Um, I should link to some of the Excel use cases. And they were kind of cute. Um, but I don't need that kind of help that they have uh, on there because I don't make those kinds of mistakes. Sorry. Um, <laughs> I don't need that kind of help in Excel formulas. Um, and I don't want to make what I call mega formulas in Excel because they are basically impossible to debug. And if you're having to use ChatGPT to debug your formulas, maybe they're a little too complex. Hmm. In any case, um, moving on from that, but uh, people are using uh, ChatGPT to generate Python code and R code and stuff like that because that was one of the sets that it was trained on. Why not? But people are using it instead of, uh, uh, not browsers, instead of search engines. And to answer questions like, you know, what are the percentage of the population over age 80, which is what Virginia Postrel was looking for in this article. The problem is it generates grammatical sentences with plausible sounding numbers and data, but may not be accurate. And that's really the danger. Um, and in the footnote, she's indicating, I mean, she has to trace it back to the original source of the data, actually check the numbers, and it didn't necessarily save her any time. For someone like me, if I'm doing this kind of thing, she's, you know, more of a general writer. So she's going to be looking at all sorts of data sources, all sorts of topics, and writing about all sorts of things. I'm a lot more focused than Virginia Postrel is in writing topics. So I'm focusing on stuff like demographics all the time and mortality rates and, you know, what is the age distribution in a population? So I have my usual sources I go to. I know where to go for this kind of information. I don't have to, like, scatter my arms around and flail. I just go <laughs> to the WHO or OECD and go straight to where I know the data is. Um, that's just not my problem. And that's the difference. It's like when you are, uh, I could say subject matter expert, but like when you have a, a niche, when you have a specialty, then you don't have to go to a generic AI. And that's what ChatGPT is. It's, it's just very generic. And it's trained on huge corpus, a huge body of texts. And the texts are not necessarily vetted for how accurate they are. It's definitely not checked for logic. It's definitely not checked for anything quantitative. And that's, I mean, for the quantitative people like me, those are always the examples from ChatGPT that we find very funny is all of the math stuff that it gets wrong because that's not what it's there for. Um, it's a, what, what it was, it always says I'm an LLM, I'm a large language model. That's all it is. And it's trained to a large body of language examples. It can do some cute tricks, but it doesn't understand a damn thing. It's the, the kind of structure of model it is. It can generate a lot of stuff using a nice bag of tricks. 
And a lot of people are impressed by that nice bag of tricks, but it's not doing what we would consider any reasoning. That's why it gives you a lot of wrong answers if you don't give it enough inputs, as it were, to get to the target you're trying to hit. Um, the funny ones that I like, someone, um, was it Zach Wienersmith, who does Saturday morning breakfast serial comic, um, did one of like, you know, give me ASCII art of your name. Um, those are really funny. So it does create ASCII art of some text, but it doesn't say chat GPT. It's just like two syllable things that are just kind of random. You can ask it to do some ASCII art of some other stuff, uh, which is, I mean, it's kind of cool. I didn't know you could ask it to do ASCII art, but it generally doesn't look like what you ask it to create, or it doesn't look that great. Um, so from a human judgment point of view, it's not very good at these general tasks. And this is what people forget humans are good at versus what you can do with computers. So what humans are really good at are being general. We're much better general AI. We're much better at general task doers of anything. And computers are much better at being specialists. So we could theoretically train a computer to replace me if it was worth the time to, you know, train it up with the knowledge set and this, that, and the other to do everything I do, but there's really not a huge call to do the kinds of things I do. Not many people are, well, for the blog at least, are not really paying a lot. Sorry. I do appreciate you guys who are paying. Yay. Thank you. Um, but the amount of time it would take to train um, a computer program and, you know, to gather up all the appropriate data sources. And this is the important part. You have to get the appropriate data sources that have correct and accurate data and explicitly exclude and say, these are bad data sources. So that's the other thing you have to kind of have an anti-training set and, and say, this is bad, slap, slap, slap. We're not going to use this stuff. Um, so there's part of training is also saying these are bad responses or this is bad data source. Um, so that's part of training as well. And that actually takes time, effort, money, et cetera. And the amount of money, time, et cetera, it would take, you know, it would probably be more expensive than it would return. So having a human who is willing to do this and it's, you know, I'm just doing this for free. I mean, I would do this whether or not people would pay. Please give me money still. Um, it, it, get, come on. Um, people are not <laughs> realizing that. All that said, there are loads of use cases and productive use cases for ChatGPT and other AI um, that that is still low-hanging fruit. It's just not what a lot of people think it is. Um, people who are just asking generic questions and um, thinking it will be able to replace whatever uh, without thinking about what it is good at and what is it's just going to generate complete trash for a lot of things unless you edit it heavily or check it, which is going to take expensive human brain time. Well, there you go. A lot of what we have seen 
uh, in deploying these new technologies doesn't mean the humans you have left are going to be cheaper. Usually it means the humans you need to supervise this stuff are going to be even more expensive. And that's what happened when you got rid of the relatively cheap secretaries and, you know, the relatively cheap actuarial assistants. The ones that were left were far more expensive. There were fewer, but they were a lot more expensive and a lot more productive, you know. So that's just something to think about. In the case of my Aunt Pat, um, she went up the executive chain and ended up heading a division for IBM for adaptive technologies uh, to make computing accessible to the disabled. Um, and notice that technology itself um, made all sorts of things. Um, it, you know, you could do a lot. A lot of disabilities were no longer disabilities in certain realms with technology. It, now, it was kind of in an early phase, and my Aunt Pat died in the early 1990s, so she didn't get to see a lot of the technologies we have now. But I've had, you know, with my peripheral neuropathy, and it makes it difficult for me to type sometimes, but with speech to text, I don't have to type. And a lot of the stuff I can do, quote, writing, I can just do talking. So that's great. And then now with some of these AI tools, I have to do even less direct composing. I can use the AI to generate some of the text. And I've already done it in some of the cases, some of, and not chat GPT, but some other specifically, you know, more crafted text tools where it takes text I've already written and either does some organizational work or um, generates titles, subtitles, or rearranges some of the stuff that I've already written, uh, which is very helpful and saves me some time because that saves editing time. And then we can focus more of our brain time on less of the, you know, fiddly crap and spend more time, you know, really digging into, well, what's going to be effective or, you know, maybe I should be writing about something else entirely and then one can be a lot more productive and I don't feel so bad if I have to cut an entire page or an entire section if, you know, a lot of it was AI assisted in generating this. Um, you know, when you had to sweat and type it actually on a typewriter and it was, you know, days worth of work that you had to throw out when you had to start over again. Um, yeah, you know, you resent that, but when you can gener generate or, you know, redo something you had right much more rapidly, yeah, you know, you can do some more production cycles much more fast, uh, rapidly. It's not so bad. Uh, you can generate ideas uh, more. There are things you can do with it. So it's, you know, it's not going to kill the world un unless, you know, you think you can let it rip without supervising it. And that's just silly. Um, some people are just going nuts over, a, you know, it's just a program it, and it's people stuffed a lot of data into it. It doesn't have the structure that people seem to be imposing on it. And a lot of that, a lot of the work is being done by our own brains, imposing meaning on it that isn't actually there. 
In any case, that's been Stump, Death and Taxes. And no, this, none of this was generated by ChatGPT itself. Talk to y'all later. Oh, <laughs>